Hi, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Segal. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking with Ross Byrne, who is the Chief Executive at Katai. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation today with Ross. Uh, great to hear the story of uh, being an AstraZeneca spin-out and growing uh, a business from from scratch and some of the challenges involved uh, of having five founders that literally knew very little about business and creating uh, a very successful organization off the back of that. Ross is kind of approach is incredibly candid and honest, and he, he really shares some some great insights into the challenges of running a, a kind of CRO, a very fast growing CRO business in the sector. Challenges like having too much demand and not being able to raise capital quick enough to be able to actually support that demand. He also talks about pivoting the business both uh, in the last few years, but also plans to do so in the future in, in order to become. Uh, an innovation medicines development partner, which will ultimately, hopefully, have a, a billion dollar valuation, which is pretty amazing. Ross also talks about uh, the pandemic and how it's really put a positive life uh, light on the life science and R and D space, but also uh, how that has underlined the need for the industry to kind of raise its game when it comes to meeting uh, other medical needs uh, throughout the sector. Beyond that. I mean, as an entrepreneur and business owner myself, I just really enjoyed some of Ross's learnings and he's really honest about some of the mistake that, that he's made and the need to continually uh, you know, back yourself uh, in having an open mind and being very fluid and agile because things don't always go to plan and, and, and how taking a team on that journey as well. Yeah, genuinely really enjoyed this conversation and I really hope you do too. So as always, thanks for listening. Uh, I'm very grateful for your ears and it would be great if you could give us a kind rating on your app, uh, choice, app platform of choice uh, and maybe share the episode with a colleague or an industry contact so we can share the molecule to market uh, content amongst other industry leaders. Beyond that, Look after yourself and enjoy today's episode. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. And because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. Hey Ross, welcome to the show. Hey Raman, pleasure to be here. Yeah, pleasure to have you, Ross. Thanks for thanks for making the time because I know you're a busy man. And uh, Ross, let's let's start off with just telling our listener a little bit about you, your kind of career journey today, and and ultimately how you ended up uh, at Katai, where you are today. Okay, so so yeah, Ross, um, chief chief executive of Katai Limited. Um, I've been. Chief Executive for about six years. Um, Katzai is 10 years old and I was one of five co-founders and we spun out of the Bristol AstraZeneca manufacturing facility for API. Um, as the name alludes to, Katzai had a catalysis background. So we acquired assets from AstraZeneca 
um, and we specialized in catalysis for the first four years. And then we pivoted to become a process R&D business from about 2014-15 to where we are now. And you know, just to set up maybe the, the rest of this call, we're looking to pivot again um, to, to become a medicines development company. So we see ourselves as an innovation partner um, rather than a contract research or development organization because of the value creation that we uh, produce on behalf of our um, customers and clients. That's great. And I'm going to pick your brains on that because I'd love to hear more about the kind of pivot that's uh, in in planning at the minute. But the time at AstraZeneca, so my understanding was you obviously spent a, a bit of time there and obviously you mentioned you, you were part of the founding team at Katai. I'd love to hear your uh, kind of thoughts on how that was in going from a big pharma company to a startup and some of the uh, some of the emotions and challenges that you had in those those early years. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was um, at AstraZeneca as a scientist, practicing scientist in the chemical development team, essentially for for four years. Um, and yeah, as I say, very very corporate, great great company, AstraZeneca, great culture. Um, and actually, you know, uh, I've said many times, it's a great it's a great training ground to hone your skills, not just in science, but in 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 leadership and in management and and such like. So. Um, learned lots of transferable skills from my time there and through candidness you know the inception of cats was quite opportunistic um i wouldn't say that myself or the other four co-founders uh, co were very entrepreneurial and you know had primary career aspirations of of setting up a business um there was a footprint reduction um across global astrazeneca and there was an opportunity for us to continue the science that we honed in AstraZeneca. And there was a need within AstraZeneca for the science that we could deliver. So the facility we had in Bristol was the global facility for catalysis screening. So it sort of made sense, the value proposition for us to, you know, to spin that out and service AstraZeneca for two years. So I talk a lot about entrepreneurship and and um, helping and mentoring startups. We had a very fortuitous um, sort of inception where we had a runway for a period of time because of the deal we managed to negotiate with with AstraZeneca. But actually, quite serendipitously, you know, my my sort of uh, personality and my I would say my own purpose and what I'm driven to do is very aligned to to business. So I, you know, I say I found my feet when when cat's eye was set up and it, it what's really interesting about that ross is you know having got to know you over the last few years i you strike me as very entrepreneurial like the way that you operate and the manner in which you've grown the business and actually some of the i've seen you speak at events and things like that it's interesting to hear that it was more opportunistic because my perception was you would have done this all <laughs> you know you would have been <laughs> there would have been a grand plan but like Many of us, you know, accidental entrepreneurship is is a great route into it. And and other other founders all still involved today. Um, and actually, on on the kind of second part of that question is, give uh, you you mentioned obviously how Katai had pivoted, uh, you know, I, I think a few years into their journey. I'd love to talk a little bit about that as well, and what what drove that decision to become, uh, you know, a PR and D type business. Yeah, I mean, 
I would say there were five floundering founders at the start. Um pun. But um no, I think I think you're right. I mean, my you know, obviously my personality and and my my beliefs with regards to, you know, to business and my yeah, my, my outlook I see on um on value creation is very entrepreneurial. And I think um right from day dot with, with Cat's Eye, it was my responsibility to to do the business side of of cat site and i had to do the the analytical sides i've always had an interest in business you know i i studied science and business at school um so um i've had that really keen interest in even in marketing and, and business right from you know right from my teenage years so yeah maybe maybe if cat site wasn't to happen i would have developed more and, and wanted to to set up you know a business in my mid-career but I was very driven to be the best scientist I could when I was in my late 20s and that's when I when I joined AstraZeneca so so yeah definitely it was opportunistic um and yeah serendipitous and you know I'm very grateful for you know um the opportunity that um my co-founders um made made happen for for me and for and for Catsite so there was five of us there's now three um Two, two co-founders have moved on. Um, Paul Murray moved on to to set up his own consultancy company in Catalysis. And Jonathan Mosley left last year as a sort of um, early retirement. He now does work for Scientific Update. And um, he's one of the, the trainers for chemical development um, in, in Will's organization. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's three left. Um, we've all got really defined roles now. And you know we're looking forward to the next chapter of of Katsai. Um So to answer the second part to your question about the pivot, um, so we realised after a couple of years that being ag- not agnostic to sector. So when we launched Katsai, um, we were trying to exploit catalysis um, to pharmaceuticals, but also agrochemicals, fine chemicals, electronics, so on and so forth. So it was really using the the uh, the assets that we acquired and the knowledge that we had in chemical development for catalysis to solve problems um, in any in any chemical challenge um, in any sector, um, and I think it was just too disparate to get traction um, was very difficult, um, and actually fundamentally the deal size so that the size of projects that we would acquire um, were really quite small, um, so you're doing lots of commercial work lots of prospecting for really little rewards and yes we had you know great experience and expertise in catalysis but the team actually had more experience and knowledge of pharmaceutical development for drug substance Um, and we were getting a lot more traction in pharmaceuticals than we were in the other sectors simply because that was our personal network so you know it was the, you know the bleeding obvious that um, you know we, we should focus on the sector and be more agnostic to um, to the chemistry that we were doing. So catalysis is a tool in our toolbox, and we do what we can to develop you know chemical um, or APIs for for drug substance um, development. It's it's fascinating, you know, and I don't think we've had this conversation, Ross, but it's almost an identical story uh, to, to my own business at Remarketing and that's exactly what happened with us where we 
were sector agnostic for many years and but I had a core expertise in <laughs> pharmaceuticals. <laughs> and at some point the penny dropped that the sector specialism was actually the that would be the driver of the business. And it sounds like it was for you as well. So it's really it is really interesting to hear that story and you know and I can absolutely um sympathize with some of the challenges that go with when you're chasing clients from different sectors and client A will spend 10,000 and client B will spend a hundred thousand for exactly, <laughs> exactly the same thing. And it's quite, quite eye opener as eye opening as an entrepreneur to see where the opportunities are lied. So thanks for your candidness and honesty. And yeah, I certainly appreciate that. And, and then, and then you, you talked about where the business uh, is kind of going in the future. And I think you mentioned, you know, potentially looking at, you know, pivoting towards being a medicine development company which is which is which is very interesting now does that mean you would develop your own medicines or would you be just an innovation partner for specific types of medicines yeah we'll still be an innovation partner um you know first and foremost so you know we we as many businesses um you know that are in the small side of an sme so cat site at the moment is about 70 people we hope to be 80 by the end of 2021 and i think you have to focus to get traction within your market um so we've very much focused on process r d and now we're getting to that critical mass um we can start to think how do we create more value for our customers and because we're in pharmaceutical development um you want to to develop medicines on behalf of patients and go across that value chain um so for us it's right let's focus on service development across CMC, chemistry manufacturing controls. But then what can we do um, beyond that to really integrate um, the, you know, the other specialities required to make, to make the medicine too. So we're looking at what we can do beyond the great science done outside of CMC to make sure that, you know, the end in mind being an efficacious medicines maximized through our, um, through our services. Mm -hmm. that sounds very uh very interesting very exciting and how does well actually one question i was going to ask you around you know you mentioned getting to 70 80 people that must be an incredibly i'm sure you don't think about this every day but do you take the time to step back and look at the achievements of you and the founders you know going from five of you i suspect scratching your heads trying to work out <laughs> where to start with the business to you know where you guys are today and responsible for uh, the livelihoods of of many people and I suspect, you know, having a very positive impact on your local community where your facility is. Does does that ever cross your mind? Is that something you often think about because it's an incredible achievement? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, you do. You do have to celebrate your successes and I take, you know, the, you know, the livelihoods of my colleagues very, very, yeah, it's, it's very important. Um, you know, there's, there's 70 farmers at the moment rely on the income from from Catside to to feed their families and i think if you, if you think about it too much it can be quite it can be quite <laughs> i'm sure for yourself as well i mean it, it, it can create a little bit of a, a little bit of anxiety but um yeah. I, I, i'm very i'm very much so we, we've never had to you know to make anyone redundant i think i'll fail as a as a leader if i do have to make anyone redundant um you know i you know our ethos is, is Catsai. We're a community. Every every employee of Catsai is a shareholder of Catsai, and you know we're a we're a community that we want to grow. And you know, for me, I try and make sure we know everyone's personal objectives, so we can align their personal objectives to 
you know, what, what we can in Cat's Eye um, to make sure everyone grows and everyone succeeds. Um, but I'm, I'm very much, you know, and, and I, I like Simon, Simon Sinek's way of saying it, a CEO's job is to be the chief vision officer. So I don't tend to look back as much as perhaps I used to um, in previous years. I've got great colleagues that I, you know, empower and trust to, to manage the operations of, of Cat's Eye. And my role's really looking forward devising strategy and thinking how how can we get to a 500 employee company um, and how my BHAG, um, so big, hairy, audacious goal is how can I be involved in a, in a business and a brand that can get to a billion pound valuation? That's, that's what excites me. It's maybe a bit insane to some people, but I do believe that, you know, through the next 10 years, um, you know, the the evolution of of cat's eye and the evolution of what we're trying to do you know the, the sky's the limit and there's certainly enough market pool there's not enough value to be created um by the the cro and the cdmo marketplace that you know new large multi-billion pound brands can can be can can be created well, good for you. I think there's a lot to be said for thinking big and you know well beyond what you think is actually achievable. So, uh, yeah, yeah, congratulations on the Katai community and you know the work that you've done with your team and the growth of the business. And I did notice when I was researching uh, beforehand that the company has won various kind of entrepreneurial kind of awards and growth awards, and I believe it won a CPHI award last year and. And although I imagine that's all great, you know, I'm always mindful of the realities of actually running a business and all the, all the stuff that comes with that. So how difficult is it, how, how difficult has it been to scale the business to that size? And, and, you know, obviously as a student of business and entrepreneurship, you know, how is the, what you've read in books differed from the reality of actually having to be, you know, on the front line (laughs) doing it. Um, And I'm saying this purely from a, position of i know it's not always the same but also i'm you know you're um, you know i admire the success you guys have had and i'm genuinely intrigued to how you've overcome and, and faced some of those those growth challenges yeah i think you've got to you've got to take calculated risks i think for any for any bootstrap business so cat size owned by its co-founders um we haven't taken on any external um funding apart from senior debts so it means that you have to reinvest your profits and then convince um, the banks to to give you money, um, and that they will get their obviously their, their money back. So you can service their their debt charge. Um, so so yeah, I think that the challenge is always is making sure that you know you can you can plan. You've got a, a rigorous plan um, that not just yourself but your whole company can buy into, and then. Um, maximize the chances of success against that plan. Um, but I'm always a big believer in one has to be emergent too. Too many people I speak to, you know, are very rigid in their planning. Um, and if something comes at a left field, they can't capitalize on that opportunity. So you've got to be agile, you've got to be emergent. And I think, you know, uh, yeah, a big, I think a big, um, a big impediment for us in the past has been capital. Um, so getting access to capital um, can be quite slow and challenging. I mean, UK banks um, post two thousand and nine um, are very are very poor at supplying funds for growth capital, 
um, and being a company that does, you know, significant investment into facilities and equipments, we require to invest ahead of obviously profitability. We, we don't have a positive cash flow cycle. We have to invest, then you'll get the, the bottom line returns. So, so you have to, you have to find ways to raise the upfront capital. And that's been the biggest challenge. But I think with, with time, you have uh, better relationships with your bank. You get a better reputation as a, as a company, um, and you can open more doors to access more capital. And what we're looking to do now is we're looking at um, bringing on private equity so that we can really take the growth impediment of capital off the table, i.e., cash off the table, and maximize our um, our growth rate. So we grow at fifty percent, just under fifty percent compound annual growth rate. We're an oversubscribed business, which means we turn away business because we can't service it from the capacity that we have. So yes, we're, we're a small business, um, but you know we have a very, I would say, prominent ambition, very strong ambition to continue to grow at that rate um, for the next quantum leap order of magnitude um, from where we are. So from, I would say, in, in, in headcounts, a lot easier, 50 to 500 employees. But we can't do that on debt, so so yeah, it's, it's making sure that we we um, we bring on the, the private equity partner to do that. Well, you realise after this interview, you're going to get a bit inundated with uh, <laughs> private equity people when you've got fifty percent year-on-year growth and an oversubscribed business. It's uh, I suspect it's a, a very positive sign for a potential investor, and and you know it's it's really quite interesting, Ross hear the kind of candid nature and the transparent nature in which you talk because <clears throat> that is a challenge a lot of businesses come up against and you know for a business like yours where the capital investment is is key but actually you said yourself the market demand is very high and sometimes the two don't quite fit together and it's great to hear you kind of speaking very openly about well we're going to need some support in order to achieve those kind of big big scary goals that you talked about so yeah good good for you because i think it's it's rare to get that level of kind of transparency and honesty and yeah it kind of speaks to your entrepreneurial side as well yeah i've been i always like to come up with my own my own sort of processes and i say that a business needs four c's to grow capital customers um, capacity and capabilities and yeah capital i.e. cash can probably buy you the other three um, if you <laughs> if you have enough of it, I mean your value proposition, your brand will get your customers, um, and then capital will buy your your increased capabilities and your increased capacity. So so yeah, very much you know it's it's about for us taking capital off our um, off off the critical path for for growth, and you know try and you know try and make sure we invest ahead of ahead of time to maximize our company growth but at the same time you know we're, we're not going to grow at a rate that's not um that's not sustainable it's important that we grow at a rate that doesn't put too much pressure on you know my colleagues and we maintain our culture and most importantly we maintain our quality science and you know service delivery to our customers you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast 
for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. We are proudly supported by Zymewire, which is a leader in actionable sales intelligence for life science business development professionals. In fact, thousands of life science BD professionals start their day with sales signals from Zymewire. And because you listen to Molecule to Market, you can have a free go at the platform. Just go to tryzymewire.com. That's tryzymewire.com. One thing I, I understand about Katai's business is you managed to, with a UK-based facility in, in Wales, build uh, a significant US business as well, which I think is a really, uh, really great achievement because that not all companies in Europe are able to do that without having a physical presence. So, my kind of first part of my question was, you know, you know, any anything you can share on how you've been able to do that, but also are there plans for Katai to maybe have a presence in the US at some point? Yeah, um, yeah. So we are ninety percent remunerated in US dollars. Um, so, so yeah, by, and that's by design. So, you know, we, we marketed and prospected cats eye predominantly in, in the U S. Um, and that's because in the UK, there was some mature brands, um, doing, um, you know, chemical development process R and D. Um, so by design, we, we decided to, to do our focused, um, market development in, in the U S and yeah, it makes sense. So we have, we have our head of business developments in North America, not in, not in the States, but up in, up in uh, Quebec, Canada. Um, and it will make sense at some point to have, to have boots on the ground and in, in the U S just to make sure that, you know, we can be more responsive, um, and build relationships with our, um, with our customers more, you know, transatlantic travel is obviously very difficult at the moment. Um, and yeah, we, we would love to, to be able just to, to foster bigger and better, you know, relationships in, in the U S and with regards to lab services, you know, I think it'll make sense at some point in a roadmap to, to have, you know, lab services or manufacturing capabilities in the U S as well. Um, so, so yeah, certainly it's part of our long-term vision to have significant, um, obviously presence in the U S. That's great. Thanks for sharing that as well. And now I want to talk about mistakes because I'm guessing you've, uh, like me, made, <laughs> made some mistakes on your journey. And, you know, uh, you know, in prior to the call, and obviously I know you already, but looking at your career uh, trajectory and the success that you've had, it's like, hey, Ross, is, Ross has got this all figured out. He's never made, he's never put a foot wrong in his life. <laughs> but I, I know firsthand that that's not always the case. I'm, so I'm interested in, if you can share some of the kind of mistakes that you've made or put another way, is it, is there anything that you used to believe that, you know, that it was turned out to be totally wrong <laughs> or incorrect in, on your journey? Um, yeah, mistakes I've made yeah, far too many to, to list. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think my, my mentality is, um, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Um, but you know, you can only make an informed decision with the information that you have. And sometimes at that point in time, because you don't have the knowledge, you don't have the experience that you make the wrong decision in hindsight. Um, so mistakes along the way, I think, um, well, go back to day dot, we got the, obviously the, the value proposition of, of cats are wrong, but I think over the last sort of five years, I, yeah, I think maybe just, you know, some recruitment problems, you know, I think you've got to get the team, your core team, right. 
And I think we recruited sometimes too much um, on perceived competence rather than perceived fit to the team. Um, so I think now we very much you know, want to maintain our culture. We make sure that everyone we hire um, raises the bar in competence, but also um, has to be a good fit to the values of the company. Um, so we made we made some, I would say, some recruitment mistakes in the past. Um, I think as well, um, a big mistake on my behalf is probably not learning more about about um, about business and strategy and all the fundamentals of of business earlier than what I did. I think we would have um, made the pivot earlier if you know I was to have taken on you know the the, the learning earlier. So so yeah, I think they're, they're the two main ones. I think. Um, yeah, and maybe maybe backing yourself a bit a bit better too. Um, we do now. Um, we're, we're quite highly leveraged in debt as a business. But I think if I was to speak to myself back in 2016, 2017, um, would be go and borrow as much as you can. Everything will be okay um, <laughs> because you've got you've got you've got to back your value proposition. And I think um, yeah, you know, it, it, it takes that takes a lot of. Um, it takes a lot of courage um, and it takes some resilience not to, to deviate away from it too. So I think that would be the, the three the three big mistakes that maybe I've, maybe I've made in hindsight. No, that's, that's great. And again, appreciate your honesty. And uh, I think that last one's key. You know, I think it, it's, it's like a confidence snowball that I've seen amongst entrepreneurs. It just takes time, you know, once, especially technical entrepreneurs like yourself that come from a skill rather than, you know, a business background specifically and at some point in your year you kind of realize okay we, we know what we're doing and we're going in the right direction and but it takes a while to kind of have that self-confidence uh to really back yourself but and it, you know i think there's a lot to be said for some of the words that you talked about there you know courage resilience and i'm sure you don't stop and think about some of the early days but I'm, i imagine it was pretty hard in the early days and when that runway with astrazeneca was running out <laughs> I suspect yeah. that was some interesting times. Okay, how do we get over that? And and yeah. you kind of semi-answered this question anyway. I'm going to ask it in a different way of, you know, if you could go back and give 25-year-old Ross some advice, would it be just to back yourself more or would it be, would it, I mean, you're obviously a little bit younger then and you probably got AstraZeneca at that time, but would you giving yourself some advice differently then to what, you know, what you've had in your career? Um, well, I think, uh, and it's, I'm sure it's the same on both sides of the pond. You make, you make fundamental career decisions quite early on in your your lifetime. You know, I was good at science, really enjoyed chemistry, did my undergraduate, postgraduate, um, you know, PhD in, in in chemistry. Didn't really have the diversity of of knowledge to really know what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I think if I was to go back and tell myself, you know, what you know, what I should be doing is probably to, to have more of an open mind away from just science. You know, I, I genuinely, I found a role now that is my, does appeal to my own personal um, purpose and objectives. Um, but I found the path by serendipity. Um, and that's because I was so focused on my, my scientific career. So it's, yeah, I think just to try and get more breadth of your, of your understanding of, you know what what what's available for careers. I think um, you know, as a scientist, you can get you can get pigeonholed, and you can, you know, you can get too focused on you know what you've what you've trained in. Um, uh, so yeah, that that would be my my main probably career advice. 
I, honestly, I think fifty percent of the answers of that same question, Ross, that the interviews have been this have, have been exactly that. It's really quite <laughs> fascinating. You know, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that you know I've I get to interview super talented, successful people like yourself who've gone on to create great businesses and lead amazing teams and big organizations and almost half of the interviews we've done on molecule at the market they always talk about you know at that mid-20s kind of age of of having an open mind and not not necessarily shoehorning yourself down a career it's funny you, know, you look at yourself at that age and think you've got to have it all figured out <laughs> and even when you get to our, our age and you still haven't figured it out you know i don't think anyone <laughs> ever does but uh and then what, what um you know i was gonna ask you a little bit about leadership as well because i'm got i'm gathering in as cat eye has grown and you and the founders have grown in the business and you've become uh i suppose the leadership element has probably become uh, more prominent and yet probably more important as well. So any, any advice around, you know, for young people either developing their own businesses or growing as leaders in organizations, any, any leadership tips or anything that has worked really well for you in, in your career? Um, I mean, I think, you know, people can, can probably delve too much into the, the sort of science and art of leadership you know, try and read the theory and, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's some fantastic, you know, sort of textbooks out there. But to me, leadership's quite simple. You know, you get leadership and you get leaders and you get followers, right? You want, you want, you want as a leader to motivate the people um, who are your colleagues to, you know, to follow the vision of the North Star of your organisation. Um, and you, you, you can do that in today's, you know, sort of 21st century, you know, ways of working. You don't do that through command and control. You do it through empowerment and you do it through, you know, exploiting your own values as a person that you want them to, you know, to to aspire to yourself. So it's all about just, you know, making sure that, you know, everyone's aligned towards the, the North Star of your organisation. And I think, um, yeah, that'd be, that would be some of my, my sort of, tip to anyone as a leader is you know you've got to be out there in front and you can't expect anyone's behaviors to be any better than your worst behaviors <laughs> <laughs> so funny, so yeah, yeah and, and, and make sure that you know you're consistent with your values that you want your organization or you portray as a person are actually authentic um otherwise you know people won't entrust you as a leader um and you know you, you won't get that connection um, so that's that. That be my tip. You know, you've got to you've got to be out there at the front. A lot of people, and, and it is servant leadership, and you can do it through through supportive. But really, if you want to be, um, you know, a leader in an organisation with regards to on the board or a chief executive, you've got to yeah, you've got to really, you know, have good energy um, and and make it make it very clear and what you're trying to achieve and what that north star is. Yeah, I, I think some terrific advice that I absolutely agree with there. So really, I'm glad we got your perspective on that, Ross. And, and we've got another five minutes or so left. And I wanted to ask more generally about the industry and the kind of outsourcing space and any trends and shifts that you're seeing going on at the minute. You, you mentioned obviously right at the start that, you know, obviously the, the business has been successful because of the growth just generally in the pharmaceutical sector, but, you know, obviously you talked about being oversubscribed in your business and which obviously lends itself to the fact that demand is, is significant in the sector that you operate. So 
any major things that are happening right now that you know you, you're able to share and also interesting to get your take on how covid has impacted the 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 industry not from a not from a you know, working from home type challenges but more around uh, you know more funding in the sector and more opportunity in the sector as well yeah I mean, I'll, I'll take that one first um obviously with uh you know with the the pandemic and covid um it puts you know life science on the map um with regards to the value that we you know we create for you know for humankind right um and i think you know it, it gets forgotten sometimes um you know the you know the healthcare um providers and the pharmaceutical companies that underpin that and the great you know research and development that's continuously ongoing you know a lot of pharma gets bad press um but i think it's really shone a light on on uh, what we do as an industry in a positive way um and you know there's there's a need for for better treatments of covid so there will be more funding into you know early stage medicines and we're involved in a project or two um for you know for just that um but i think yeah you know uh, there will be future pandemics unfortunately it's, it's something that you know will, will happen um and we need to prepare ourselves better for that in the future um and i think there's other you know diseases that um you know need to be addressed and i think you know if, if something else it comes positive out of the pandemic you know might be you know point of care screening early diagno diagnostics of disease um and yeah just general you know sort of community-wide appreciation of you know there's still quite a lot to do um with regards to pharmaceutical and medicines development for unmet um you know sort of or, or, or difficult diseases okay um so the former question what's catsai doing um you know we yeah we are oversubscribed in what we do now so catsai um 2020 very much our strap plan was beyond process chemistry so we very much focused on the the sort of r d side of drug substance development we only really did manufacturing as a demonstration exploitation of our you know of our um chemical processes we're looking to evolve that to to doing proper manufacturing for um for clinical trials and preclinical studies um so that's probably quite obvious if someone knows the sector that we can evolve into doing the, the manufacturing element of what what we do already but as i mentioned at the start it's all about medicines development so we will go beyond drug substance into into drug products so pre-formulation screening and and formulation development but try and look at it as a holistic problem um with other you know sort of um other scientific and non-scientific disciplines to make sure we can make the best efficacious medicine for for patients in need and, and presumably that decision and that pivot for cat's eye into developing and evolving into those areas is driven by increased demand in the sector generally and you know, yeah as you mentioned things like unmet medical needs and yeah there's a lot of work to be done is so some of the bigger stuff that you talked about is very much at a macro societal yeah. level of if you know, genuinely practically are going to impact your business and what yeah. you guys do yeah and i think and i think on the you know in the sector level you know there's been there's been a shift from big pharma to biotech or emerging pharma companies, uh, we like to call them. Um, so lots of innovation, over 70% of, 
you know, new chemical entities are now done by um, emerging pharma companies. And they don't have any capabilities in doing CMC, so chemistry manufacturing controls. They're a sort of pseudo virtual organization. Some do have some, you know, some expertise, but most of them have, you know, project managers that outsource the whole of the supply chain. And, um, you know, to have multi uh, supplier agreements, all doing niche specialist, um, you know, parts of that supply chain has its upside. But, you know, actually just having one or two that can go across the full value chain, you know, for many, for many companies is what is what they want. And um, we know that we we can really open up new market opportunities by going across that that value chain. So being more integrated at an organization. And there's not many um, CROs um, that can go across the full um, drug substance and drug product value chain, um, what, you know, of a, a relatively small size. And that's something that we're looking to to do and disrupt. And and final question: How how do you on that that specific point? How do you you know because you mentioned obviously say these uh, emerging pharma companies and they're outsourcing more, but they want to probably consolidate and uh, I suppose minimize the amount of partners that they're using. I presume you come up against the bigger one stop shop type. You know, do do everything. <laughs> Uh, CDMO type companies. Do you, how do you contend with that, and is that something that's a challenge? Will continue to be a challenge for you guys, or do you find that you're slightly earlier on in the process at the minute? You don't come up against that as much, but just curious how yeah how that think, works. Yeah, I think at the moment, um, you know, we we're split about sixty forty big pharma to emerging pharma, um, and that's quite unique for a, a company of our of our origin, our size. Typically in the marketplace, they tend to be a lot more skewed towards um, emerging pharma. Um, so, so yeah, with our as was value proposition of just doing process chemistry, um, because of our in-depth expertise, we would typically work in projects that not many um, of the incumbent marketplace, small or big, you know, rivals, comp- competitors, some people will call them, can actually do um, because it's very challenging chemistry. So we win on um, our capabilities that win the business. And we have a very high success rate on, you know, um, I would say winning tenders is probably the the, um, the, the sort of uh, more common phrase. But for us, it's about qualifying opportunities. When we diversify and be more integrated, yes, I think, you know, to position ourselves favourably against the one-stop larger organisations, you know, we, we, we know what we're going to do. Um, you know, it, it'll be based around agility or based around, you know, that, you know, sort of dynamic customer service. Um, and at the same time, we're going to do it through, you know, really good, you know, in-depth science. Um, for us, it's all about, you've got to do the best innovation, hence why we're an innovation partner. And for us, it's never compromising on the quality of the science. There's a sort of echo chamber in, in the industry. It's about, you know, it's about speed. There's no point in being at your milestone and dead. You know, if you make the wrong <laughs> the wrong medicine, doesn't matter how, how fast you are. Um, you're not going to you're not going to monetize um, event. You know, at that outcome. So for us, it's yes, you want to be agile, and you want where possible to have you know the CMC part of um, you know of medicines development off a critical path. Um, so you don't lose any peak sales if the medicine does become commercialized. But you've got to maximize the chances of that 
medicine being efficacious. You know, yes, you do it in a, I would say, in a, a sort of tailored way. Um, but yeah, we will, we will focus on that maximizing the, the probability for success by doing the best science and trying to develop the best efficacious medicines. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great, great way to end it. I love the point there about the milestones. I remember uh, several years ago being at a conference and someone said, he's talking about drug development and clinical trial milestones. And he said, I would much rather succeed slower than die quickly, <laughs> which uh, is always, always rung true in my mind against the kind of fail fast uh, mentality. But uh, Ross, it's been an uh, absolute pleasure having you as a guest on Molecule to Market. I appreciate the insights that you shared. Um, I, I encourage any of our listeners to to get in touch with Ross. He's a great guy and always open for conversation about business entrepreneurship and uh, you know just making connections. So uh, yeah, I hope you've enjoyed your time with me on the podcast and thank you so much for being a guest. No, thank you very much. And hopefully I can come over and see you in Boston sometime soon. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, hopefully at some point we can have a beer together and chat about business and innovation and entrepreneurship and all the good stuff. But yeah, that hopefully is not too far away now, you know, that the the, uh, flights open up from the UK to the US and we can finally, uh, yeah, have a beer together and grab some dinner together. Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Ross. Bye-bye. Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile and generate leads in life sciences.